Good morning, this is Randy Landry, and this is my 34th podcast in Common Sense and Ramblings in America. Today I'm going to read Chapter 7 of my memoirs, The Life of a Blogger, A Truly Never-Ending Story, Chapter 7, The Nevada Years, Part 1. Um, so, I will begin. Um, actually, you can read um, the entire memoirs in my podcast, my blog, should I say, uh, common-sense-in-america.com. So now, with that out of the way, I will begin reading from Chapter 7. This chapter picks up where Chapter 5 left off with my life in Las Vegas. You might think that I had the world by the tail. My wife and I had our dream jobs, and we were living in our dream house. We owned both of our vehicles, and thanks to the largesse of my father-in-law, had no credit card debt. If this was anybody else's story, you would probably be right. Well, life is not a bowl of cherries unless you count the sour and soft ones in the bowl. Then you have a closer approximation to real life. My mother-in-law had just died prior to our moving to Las Vegas. That meant that my father-in-law was now all alone in Florida. The only family he had was living in Chicago, and they weren't that close to begin with. So we did the only humane thing. We invited him to live with us in Vegas. He said he would, but that he would give us a year to get settled in. In all honesty, he never caused a problem for us. We did it all on our own. Prior to our leaving Florida, one of my coworkers warned me about my wife. He said that her job was in danger and that she really wasn't that well liked at the hospital. Basically, her days were numbered there. As you can imagine, this gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling. I, however, shelved these negative vibes. We were all going to have a better place. What could go wrong? I'm sure that you've noticed all these seems to be a recurrent theme of my story, and you would be right. You may also recall that I discussed my wife's addictive personality and her lowest self-esteem problems. Well, these issues would come front and center before too long. While our house was a great house, there were areas where tinkering was called for. Areas like yard work and landscaping for one. I had always wanted an outdoor kitchen and a gazebo, so these projects were soon tackled. I put an outside door in my father-in-law's future room with a wheelchair ramp. He also had a small little shaded area where he could smoke and read the paper and enjoy the fresh air. So by the time he had moved in, most of the fine-tuning was done. We had one major project left, though. We had a balcony that ran the whole length of the back of the house. I wanted to cover that balcony so it would be more usable. So we investigated all options. Of course, we chose the worst one. We decided to go with a glass enclosure. You were probably saying, are you stupid? You would be right. We fell for all the hype. Do not ever buy a glass enclosure with a glass roof in Las Vegas. No matter what we did, it remained a sweat box in the upstairs enclosed area. I ended up covering the glass roof from the inside with foil, insulation, and paneling. So much for a nice view of the night sky. After all this, I finally made the upstairs enclosure usable, so I actually did get to enjoy the extra space quite a bit. We had a pool table up there, as well as a nice sitting area to watch TV, and a place where I could set up my various holiday villages. So all things considered, it worked out in the long run, except for one little issue, and the damn glass roof leaked. The unspalled people did a terrible job, so I had to go on the roof and apply silicone caulk on all the window panes. What a pain in the ass. The patio had a 55 by 12 foot glass roof. Do you know how many panes of glass that is and how many tubes of silicone that amounted to? 
Oh, and I had to do this every two years to keep it from leaking. What a big freaking lemon this glass enclosure turned out to be. Besides the issue with the glass roof, we had the worst building inspector in the world. He was a vindictive asshole that apparently hated his job as well as all the local contractors because not all of the back windows so now all the back windows were no longer a direct egress to the house. Our outside windows were our egress or our egress and they were technically too small, so we had to have bigger windows installed. I always wanted a spiral staircase, so we had one installed in the backyard. While the inspector struck again, he said that the steps were half an inch too shallow. So the poor ironwork guy had to build a new staircase and remove the old one by a crane and replace it with the new one. You know what? That asshole inspector never checked the new staircase. He just wanted to be a prick. Well, after this fiasco, you would think I would be done messing around with the house. You would, of course, be wrong. On the inside of the house, we had a large enclosed RV parking area. I thought it would be look really nice to have the wall all lined with Italian cypresses. It took 50 of them, so we had them all professionally planted. I followed all the recommendations of the fertilizers and insect sprays, and they grew well. If you leave the tree alone, it eventually will grow tall and narrow to about 50 feet in height. If you topped, cut the tops off, they will get fuller, but won't grow any taller. Basically, you have a really nice privacy wall. So after they reach 12 feet of height, I topped them all. Well, you would have thought that I had committed some mortal sin or something, because soon afterwards, my trees started dying one after another. I brought in one of the branches to the nursery to see what was killing them. Well, they were infested with three different kinds of insects. I again followed all the instructions only to have more and more die. I tried replacing them, but to get to one the size that it had grown to was extremely expensive, and only to see them die anyway was heartbreaking. Within one year, all 50 trees had died, $4,000 down the drain. Now this brings me to the damn pigeons. Prior to us moving to Las Vegas, they had a three-year drought. Do you know how much shitting pigeons can do in three years? Over the years, builders had gotten smarter and designed the roofs in their new houses. Thieves no longer provided sanctuary for pigeon families. You may have guessed it, my house was not one of them. Fun fact, they made for life and will nest in the same place until they either die or the place is removed. Pigeons are crazy and suicidal as well. I learned more about pigeons than I ever wanted to. So when it finally rained in Las Vegas, I had at least two inches of pigeon shit on my front entranceway. There was so much that I had to shovel it before I could hose it clean. Well, I followed the instructions and bought a stupid plastic owl. The pigeons thought it was quite funny as they sat on it. So I had this roof expert charging 500 to put some spikes on the areas where they were nesting. What a rip-off. He didn't put in enough of them. So I bought 500 feet of the effing spikes and turned the roof of my house into a pigeon war zone. This did not stop the effing pigeons. I found one dead on the ground with a spike hole in his body. He had tried to wedge himself into the nest and ended up committing hairy carry. So now I had finally opted for the final solo step. Remember I said you would have to kill them, so that's what I did. I bought a pellet gun and I killed the rest of them. I finally broke the cycle. You may go, why all the uproar over a stupid bird? Well, they aren't called rats with wings for nothing. They carry over 15 different diseases. They are very dirty and nasty birds. So ended my big game hunting days. So just as I got this home front taken care of, issues began to appear to work. I firmly believe that my wife had a self-destructive personality based on her low self-esteem. I think she believed that she did not deserve to be happy. We both had always wanted to work in critical care. 
that she was older and was having issues on her floor and there was only one opening and there was only one opening initially. I let her apply first. She passed a classwork but she failed out of the clinical part so she dropped out of the program. She had also been complaining of chronic neck pain so she went to see a pain management specialist. I reminded her of my experiences with them in Florida story to follow in chapter 9 but she insisted on going to see one anyway. This guy because I can, can't justify calling him a medical doctor was a money-grubbing quack. First of all, he destroyed what little self-esteem she had left and got her hooked on methadone besides. He also said that she was not capable of working as a nurse any longer, so he filed her disability papers. I am sure that is why she really had wanted to see him, was to get out of working. While her plan worked, she had to work. She hasn't had to work a day since. To backtrack a little, in the first year we lived in Vegas, my mother, father, and sister had come to visit us. We had a great time, and my wife really engaged well with the family. Two years later, my mother and sister came back. She never bothered with them and slept most of the time they were visiting. Even when I cooked a meal in my outdoor kitchen, she did not partake in the meal. She said that they came to visit me, not her. See how her self-esteem had been destroyed by this pain management specialist? Life continued to spiral out of control with her and my poor stepfather was at a loss on how to help. He was torn between not sticking his nose in our affairs and offering advice. It did not matter. She did not listen to anyone but the pain specialist. He had her just on milkshakes and she lost 30 pounds and subsequently looked like a scarecrow. I would find her at 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. sleeping in the gazebo holding an unlit cigarette in the backyard. One night she was so out of it that she had tried to put the lit end of the cigarette into her mouth. She was so drugged up that she couldn't walk. So I carried her upstairs to our room where I put her in bed. She asked me if I could get her some water and I said okay. When I brought her back to water, she had fallen out of bed. She had peed herself and when she had tried to get out of the up to go to the bathroom, instead of waiting for me to get the bag for the water, I cleaned her up and put her back to bed. That is finally when I had had enough. I went into my room and just lost it. I started to cry and was having a nervous breakdown. In case you were wondering why I sleep in another room, I work nights, so I sleep in the daytime. I choose to spare bedroom for two reasons. One, because it was quieter, and it was easier to make the room darker as well. Now back to the story. I knew that I could not go on this way. Something had to give, or was going to be me seeking psychiatric help. So let's backpedal a little. You might recall that I mentioned that I also wanted to go into critical care as well. Even though initially there was only one opening, another one became available. Even though I was accepted in the program, my director asked me if I could wait until the next rotation of classes. For better or worse, I was the main preceptor on our floor, and we had a new graduate that needed someone to train her. As luck would have it, this person ended up becoming my second wife. Even though the second marriage was a bad idea and was doomed from the start, it had quite a few positives as well. As her orientation progressed, we discovered that we truly enjoyed each other's company. It was nice to have someone to talk to that wasn't high all the time and that actually had some energy and ambition. Even though we were only friends initially, she helped me to realize that I needed to make some changes. So I filed for divorce, and because I listened to a lot of bad advice instead of following my own counsel, I lost my shirt. It took two years to complete divorce, and I estimate that it cost me almost a half a million dollars over a period of the ten years that I paid her alimony. This single obstacle in my life almost totally derailed me. During the divorce proceedings, it was decided that I would keep the house, so I refinanced it and gave her her share of the equity. I also had to give her part of my 401k. I also had to pay the court fees and her lawyer fees as well. 
prior to our court appearance, we had all decided on five years of alimony so that our health insurance would be covered. Of course, this is now what happened in court. First off, the judge was late because she was in rehab. My wife was using a cane because she was actively pursuing disability. My lawyer was using crutches and her lawyer was in a wheelchair. You just can't make this shit up. I felt like shooting myself right then and there. What really topped it off was when my lawyer, the one I hired and supposedly had my best interest at heart, totally blindsided me. He had made an agreement with the other lawyer that they were going to let the judge make the pro opening proposal. Right then and there I knew I was screwed. For the first, the length was not only twice as for the alimony payments, the amount was double. Of course my wife did not speak up and say anything about how we agreed on something else, but the bad thing is that my lawyer was speechless. He must have thought his reputation alone would cause the judge to give us a favorable decision. So after three minutes or so, I spoke up. The judge says, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, well, I can't do any worse than my lawyer. So I was able to get the alimony payment reduced by 300 a month. A couple of years later, I filed for a hardship reduction and got to reduce another 400. But I still had to make payments for 10 years. Sometime during the two interminable years of my divorce, my Percepti, who I will call Julie from now on, moved in with me. She had been a godsend to me and had truly helped me get through a lot of rough times. Even I don't believe either one of us was truly in love, we did have a lot of good times together. After the divorce, I told Julie that I needed to do something to get my mind off the crushing burden of the alimony. So I took up scuba diving. This would have been fine by itself if we had not bought a boat, which necessitated me trading a newly purchased truck for one that was profitable enough to pull the boat. So began my financial lows. I had alimony, I had a bigger mortgage payment, now I had a bigger car payment and a boat payment, plus credit card debts, bills, for all the new scuba diving gear we had just purchased. One year after the divorce was finalized, I had promised Julie that we would get married if we were still together at this time. So we had a small wedding ceremony in Florida with our immediate families only attending. Can you think of a less romantic reason for getting married? Well, I will top it in my third marriage. My people argue, many people argue against marriage because they say that the ring changes people. Well, this is, was certainly the case with my second marriage. Just after a month of marriage, Julie informed me that she had been faking her orgasms all along. She stated that she hadn't had one since she started taking her antidepressant meds in high school. That was certainly an ego booster. I also noticed that she became less and less affectionate, always placing her cat between us when we sat on the couch to watch TV on our nights off together. Prior to mar our marriage, she had always been very helpful in our landscaping projects, while that changed completely. Another thing that dried up was her cooking. She seemed only to want to cook for food days at work. Otherwise, I was on my own. Marie Callender frozen dinners fast became my staple diet. The final coup de grace was how she behaved towards me in public. I think she was always jealous of my educational background and the fact that I was an RN and she was an LPN. So it seemed that she took glee in belittling me in public to make her life her feel better about herself. My family and friends had informed me of this, but I had just blown it off. It wasn't until one of my photo buddies pulled me aside and had a great heart to heart, good heart to heart with me that I finally realized that something had to give. Jill and I had a heart to heart conversation when I asked her point blank that when we didn't actually kiss, did she feel anything? She spoke honestly and said no. I said that I felt the same way. When we first had met, she was in the process of getting divorced. She used most of her settlement money to help refurnish the house because my ex-wife had taken half of the furniture out of the house in our divorce proceedings. So it wasn't until I quit my job and I was able to cash out my 401k that I could finally repay her money that I owed her. 
Julia was currently unemployed at the time, so we just filed for legal separation and she continued to live in the house. This arrangement also allowed me to continue covering her under my mental health insurance plan. Since I was still paying alimony for my first failed marriage, I couldn't afford to pay any more alimony. So we lived under the same roof and we subsequently started dating. Just a little side note, it was during my marriage with Julie that I ended up losing my house. I just couldn't, couldn't continue to pay the jumbo mortgage plus all my other bills. So I put the house up for short sale. I was to rent for seven years. During that time, I moved three times. That doesn't sound like much, right? I was living in houses close to 4,000 square foot with garages full of tools, gym equipment, other stuff. So it was a lot of work. I had gotten pretty good at moving. I had purchased over 40 storage bins. I had put wheels on my workbenches and storage racks. This way, everything could be rolled up into my utility trailer. I eventually got rid of my gym equipment, all my holiday decorations, and some of my power tools to facilitate the moving process. During this time, I was following my brother Robert's tendency to take in strays, took on a disabled vet who was also a photography buddy. He lived with us for one year. I only charged him 200 a month to live with us. He also helped with some of the housekeeping chores. Needless to say, life had become certainly interesting very quickly. To facilitate the dating process, we both joined Match.com. We would, on a daily basis, compare our communications with respective partners. This provided us with endless amusement. It soon became evident that there were a lot of con artists on the website. Many of their stories were word-for-word -word duplicates with the ultimate goal of getting money from you. One girl even said she lived in Russia. Since her name was too unique to be a fake one, I looked it up on the internet and found out that she was a student in one of our local colleges. When I sent her a message asking how this was possible, our communications dried up. No surprise there. I never did figure out her game because she had never asked for money. I am sure it would eventually have happened. Have happened. She was just much more patient. I also found out that many of the women replying never actually read your messages. So I used to have fun sending them crazy messages to see what kind of replies I would get. They, of course, did not match with what I had sent them. I ended up dating one girl that I met, not through Match.com, but through Facebook. We dated for a whole year, and I actually took a trip to meet her in Thailand. We spent two weeks together. We were becoming quite serious and working on plans to get her over to the States when my conscience got the better of me. She had a thriving business there. She also owned her own home, car, and a motorcycle. In other words, she was quite successful by Thai standards. She was willing to give this all up and her family as well to be with me. My concern was what would happen if her relationship failed. She would have given up her whole life to be with me. I just couldn't deal with that, so I broke that off. Needless to say, she wasn't happy. I ended dating a girl from China and another girl from the Philippines for a while. I actually had met them from Match.com. After dating them for a few months, I realized that they were not the woman of my dreams. It was not until I actually took a break from looking for a girlfriend that I met my future wife. After 9-11, People found it very distressing to socialize. Meetup.com, which originated in 12, June 12, 2002, was an answer to this issue. Various groups were set up based on special interests. Because of the highly transient population in Las Vegas, it became quite popular here. There are literally hundreds of specialty meetup groups. I used to belong to several of them. I was on one organized trip to the world-famous Havasu Falls which is located on the Havasupai Indian Reservation in Arizona. It is a 10-mile hike down to the falls from the main entrance or a landing leading to the trail. 
there's a small town about seven or so miles on the path where you can get them supplies and food. There are also limited cabins that you can stay at. At the main falls, there's a fairly large campsite for backpackers and such. This was my second trip to the falls, so I was fairly familiar with the area. One group had two areas marked off. I'm sorry, our group had two areas marked off. I set up a camp at the overflow area, which was closer to the main falls. I was the first one to set up camps here, and soon several more people followed suit. It was a unique situation that followed that all those people that camped at the overflow site there were, were seven or so small groups still keep in touch in one form or another. I could, of course, keep in very close contact with one lady, lovely lady, and my final wife, my third and final wife. The woman of my dreams, I met her at the campsite on my first day and subsequently hit it off. We ended up having breakfast together at a local restaurant after I got off work. She was working in Utah, and I went to see, visit her there and go on a few hikes with her. Our relationship soon blossomed when I'd asked her to move in with him. This is where we'll end this chapter, and we'll pick up the narrative in Chapter 8. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 7 and the story of my life. You have a great day. Take care, and as always, be safe.